In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. As many of you know, in September, a young Iranian woman named Masa Amini, 22 years old, was arrested by the morality police for wearing a hijab that was too loose. After she died in custody, allegedly because of a stroke or a heart attack, Iranian women began to protest. And though some have lost their lives because of it, those protests have continued to grow these past two and a half months. It is courage at its best and state violence at its worst. The Iranian morality police, or more euphemistically called guidance patrol, was created at the same time as the Revolutionary Guard. Simply put, it's men who are empowered to arrest those people, mostly women, whose manner of dress or behavior is inconsistent with their interpretation of Islam. Painted toenails men with unconventional haircuts, and of course, women whose hijab shows anything more than the oval portion of the face deemed acceptable in public. And though the morality police use the language of religion, not unlike the Christian nationalists a little closer to home, what they're really doing is the same thing that regimes, kingdoms, have done all throughout history, which is holding on to power through violence and intimidation. I like to say that if violence is the means, violence may well be the point. It's not really about piety, it's about power. Now, these protests didn't happen in a vacuum. And those brave young women are looking to recent history for inspiration and example. In the late 90s, many Iranians began to call out the absurdity of all this and said, okay, if you're going to make objects of our bodies, we're going to use our bodies to protest. And so it became an act of, of, great, of great pride and bravery to flaunt those draconian rules, even at risk of arrest. A painted toenail instead of a Boston Tea Party, if you will. A ragged haircut instead of an armed rebellion. And just letting the tiniest thread of a hair fall beneath the fold of a headscarf. Just, just enough, a millimeter, if you will. And so it came to be known as the Millimeter Revolution. When the powers and principalities are so corrupted by their need to hold on at any cost, sometimes a millimeter is all it takes. The pen is mightier than the sword, and sometimes a strand of hair is mightier than a whole regime. Now, the Feast of Christ the King, which we are celebrating today, we conclude the liturgical year with this, the reign of Christ. And it was, it's a relatively new celebration. 
a little more than 100 years old. It was, it was created in the years after the First World War when the Catholic Church, the death of millions of people, led the Catholic Church to lift up the reign, to lift up the love of Christ as the only alternative to the madness of human principalities that had all but destroyed the world as they knew it. And now that piece of history, it's helpful to me. But I find that I need a little bit more than that. When I think of the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, I'm less interested in Jesus as a particularly nice monarch or even one who has power but uses it wisely and justly and always for good. What, what is the line like, oh, oh, I have powers, but I try to use them. I have, I have special powers, but I use them for good and not for evil, right? I, I want more than that. I see this as a moment to see how very differently power flows in the kingdom of God. And rather than gathering at the feet of a benevolent monarch, the key actions in this community are healing and reconciling, of drawing the whole world into union with God and with each other. The reign of Christ is defined by the radical laying down of power by giving it away rather than amassing it or even using it rightly. Now that doesn't happen through power plays or coup d'etat or even elections. It happens through radical self-giving, through love of neighbor as a way of life, through forgiveness and through hope that transforms everything. So if, my, if I had my choice, if anybody asked me, which they're not going to, I might suggest we change the title of this liturgical feast, it's only 100 years anyway, old anyway, from Christ the King Sunday to Reconciliation Sunday. When we envision what a healed and remade world can look like on this day, this, this final celebration of the church year, when we remember just what is possible when the world is shaped not by a sword, not through enforcement, but with one strand of hair, one millimeter at a time. Now, as, as royal origin stories go, we have to admit that Jesus' does not fit with the rest of them. King Arthur, of course, what, what did he do to become king? Pulled a stone, a, a sword from a stone, didn't he? Um, and of course, by the way, we do have King Arthur uh, up on the Reredos, if you didn't know that. Kind of strange for a druid, but whatevs, you know. Other kings slew beasts or bested armies or, or wooed their way to the top, but not Jesus. We meet our king in a moment of shame and vulnerability. His body broken and his nascent movement running for the hills. 
Eberhard Busch wrote that Jesus' majesty is seen not when we look up, but when we look down. And what does Jesus do when he is the farthest he could possibly be from coming into worldly power? He prays. He forgives. He lets his life pour out into the ground, humbling himself even unto death. Of the crowd that had shouted his death into reality, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they have done. We anchor our kingdom not on the accumulation of power, but on the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness means that, yes, I could hold something over you. I could do harm, but really, to you and to me. But instead, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to release that power. But think for a moment, not just of Jesus being a good king or even having a supernaturally gracious moment. Think of the reign. Think of the kingdom. Think of what is beginning in this moment. And if forgiveness wasn't at the center, who would we be? If God didn't forgive, that would mean that God just stayed mad all the time which is only a projection of our own worst moments and not really God at all. So somebody get a memo to the morality police or the Christian nationalists or even to that person who you love but who just doesn't seem to know how to access that gift of grace. That unforgiving God isn't the God around whom we build the beloved community. It just isn't. Without forgiveness, we are no different from the broken kingdoms of this world. We are nicer, maybe. Okay, we definitely have better hymns. But without that willingness to forgive, then we are profoundly brittle and fragile. You see, mercy is how we stay alive inside. A soul, a system, a kingdom that is incapable of mercy is already dying. We can cover that. We can cover that atrophy with violence or euphemism or enforcement or collective madness for a time, and plenty of kingdoms have, but eventually the system will collapse. It happens 100% of the time, unless we remember God's call to love, unless we remember God's call to practice forgiveness and mercy, unless we remember. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We sing that from time to time, that, that beautiful Teze piece. But we don't always remember who said it. It was the thief on the cross, suffering and dying just as Jesus was. Remember me. Return me to the body. Lord, have mercy. Now look up for a moment. Look there on the Reredas, 
that image of Jesus as that's Christ the King, but not one with a throne or a sword or, or, or even a Twitter handle, which is a sign of power now, which would just make for the worst statue ever. <laughs> Rather, it's Jesus with arms outstretched, open, vulnerable, reaching out to embrace and to call us to return. It's, it's Jesus saying, okay, bring it in, bring it in. It's, our, it's the big hugs reridas. I imagine that our majestic cathedral, the central image, is someone going for a hug. This is what the rain looks like. This is what return looks like. But you know, it's deeper than even that. This embrace is the ultimate act of reconciliation and remembrance. When we forgive and are forgiven, when we respond to Jesus' invitation to a return, we are remembered. We are returned to the body of Christ. And this is a body. That is a body that has been broken. Just as Masa Amid's body was broken by the powers and principalities of this world. That is the body to which we are remembered. And that is the heart of reconciliation, of returning as the people of God to the one who created us as one body and one people. That embrace is the very heart and soul of the kingdom of God the eternal home to which all of us, to which all of God's children are called to return. Amen.